So we are in the final week of this series we've been doing, wrapping this up, wrapping up uh, the lion and the dragon. And uh, in the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, it depicts this apocryphal visionary language. It depicts Jesus uh, as a lion. It depicts Satan as a dragon. Uh, Jesus, of course, is not a lion and Satan is not actually a dragon. But those are apt metaphors to describe the struggle between good and evil. And, uh, you know, some people can struggle with the supernatural elements and, and the spiritual claims of the Bible. I don't, I don't uh, fault people for that. We're in a very skeptical uh, context. Uh, one way that we very quickly try to bridge the gap for anyone who has any skepticism over these claims uh, is we actually tap into the, the secular idea of the multiverse. So, excuse me, I know I've been doing this, banging this drum every week, but it's actually a powerful idea that uh, there exists a multitude of universes I don't know if I actually believe in this idea, but people do believe in this idea, but there's a multitude of universes that every variation of everything that could possibly happen does happen because there's this infinite amount of universes out there. And so based on purely secular reasoning, there must exist a universe where everything in the Bible is true, which means there's a God that exists in one of those universes that rules all the universes, and that's the Christian God. That's what we're here to say. So if that bridges the gap for anyone, that helps you at least open up and say, okay, maybe I can engage with the supernatural claims of the Bible. Maybe that helps you. Maybe you just think that's dumb and stupid and you hope I never say it again. Either way, uh, I said it. So uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter uh, 21, verses 1 through 6. And today's sermon, so we've gone through the, the beginning of the series, we looked at angels. Then we looked at demons. Uh, last week we looked at the subject matter of judgment. Judgment is a very difficult subject matter to talk about. Um, if you missed those three weeks, they're on our YouTube channel, they're on iTunes podcast, catch up with them there. Uh, they're really helpful. They, these sermons are built on one another as we've gone through this series. Today we're talking about paradise. Paradise. The Bible uses the word paradise. It's another word that describes heaven. So Jesus says to one of the uh, thieves on the cross next to him, he says to one of them, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul himself, he says, he says, hey, I, he's writing in one of his epistles, one of his letters, he's saying, um, I know a man. Some people think he's talking about himself, maybe. He says, I know a man who was caught up into paradise. Also, in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, it says that the tree of life, the, the, the tree of life is God's paradise. So it uses that, that word there as well. And Jesus, of course, talks about Um, the kingdom of heaven over and over again, talking about the kingdom of heaven and painting it in this paradise language. Even people who really doubt God or deny the existence of God, when pushed on the the question of of heaven, of of future paradise, when pushed on this question, people will tend to admit and tend to say, if I had a choice, I would prefer it was true. If I really had a choice, I I would choose it rather than not choose it. So let's, let's imagine, let's play along. Let's imagine like John Lennon that there's no heaven, all right? Just, it's, it's a depress- if you believe in heaven, it's a very depressing exercise, so I'm sorry, but we'll just do it for a second. Imagine there's no heaven, all right? And then somebody comes to you with this button, this big box. It's got a giant button on it, and they say, look. And you know they're not lying to you. You know they're absolutely telling the truth. You just somehow imagine. It's just imaginary. They're telling you the truth. And they say, if you, if you press this button, it will create for you. So heaven doesn't exist, but if you, if you press this button, it will create an afterlife for you. You'll never die. You'll be reunited with your family and friends, and you'll be satisfied forever. It'll never get boring. It won't ever feel like a prison, or you won't ever wish it was over. It'll be, 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 be eternal bliss forever and ever. You'll be, it'll be better than anything you've ex- ever experienced in this world. And they, they leave you in a room by yourself, and there's no cameras. No one's watching. No one will know if you've hit the button. No one will know. 
who in their right mind wouldn't hit the button? Okay, you'd be smashing that button. You'd be like, I just want to make sure I really pressed it properly, make sure it's suppressed all the way. Even Satan would hit the button. Everyone would hit the button, I hope. I hope maybe some people wouldn't. Maybe some people would say, I just am so doubtful or I don't want that for myself. I don't know. Maybe that could happen. But now, now that idea doesn't make it true. It doesn't make heaven true. It doesn't make paradise true. But we believe it on, on faith. And you can't reconcile the idea of the multiverse. There's no, no empirical. That's why it's an article of faith. It's a, it's a faith position to believe in it, actually. Um, in, in the same way that, that scientists can't reconcile you know, quantum mechanics and the theory of relativity. They, they believe by faith that there's a solution. There's a, a, a uh, a theory of everything that ties it all together. So Christians, we, we know we can't empirically prove the claims of the Bible with science, but we know they're reasonable to believe, but they're not just reasonable to believe, they're desirable. The longing for heaven is the ideal that everyone's striving for, and it's the hope that Christians have. All of the, all of the political energy in our culture right now, all, of it, all the techno technological advancement, all the cries for equality, all the cultural unrest, all of it is a giant cry for heaven, a giant desire for that paradise, for that place. And we have the promise of it. We have been given the promise of it. One of Jesus' disciples, John, the apostle John, he is given this vision of the future. And we know Jesus talked a lot about heaven, about paradise. We know a lot from Jesus, but also the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, it's tells us a lot about the end times, Armageddon, the end of the world, and this, this, this future that God's got planned for us. So let's pray, and then let's learn about this future. God, we need your help today. We pray for your power and your spirit to make your word alive to us, that we would have a greater hope than we've ever had before, greater joy than we've ever had before about the future. Because this world is so broken and so desperately lost. And God, Give us hope of the future. Help us to fill our minds and our hearts with what you have prepared, what you have planned, and how good it will be. And for anyone here that doesn't have confidence in that, that doesn't know that today, help them come in to this promise today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven... And the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, 
I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is God's word. Verse 1 in this passage tells us that God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. So what that, I mean, maybe it's too much of an obvious point to make, but what that points out to us is that the current heaven and earth is different to this new heaven and earth that's going to be created. In fact, the descriptions in the Bible that we're given, almost exclusively, almost all of them, about heaven, are talking about that future heaven. So we know what the current earth is right now. It's obvious. We can see it. We experience the earth right now. And we're told of this future heaven and earth that's going to be created. And we're told lots about that. We'll get more clarity. and We'll talk about that in just a minute. But like, we're also, there's, there's, a, there's a heaven and earth that exists right now. How do we understand the difference between these two things, the current heaven and earth and the future heaven and earth? The Bible actually uses the word heaven in three ways. Three ways. So the first heavens that the Bible talks about is the sky, the atmosphere. So you can look up into the blue sky and you can call it the heavens. That's one way that in our language we understand the word heaven. That's one way that the Bible refers to it as. And so you have to be careful when you're reading different passages of Scripture to make sure you're understanding which one it's talking about. And sometimes it's not actually always uh, obvious. It could be uh, different options. The second heaven is space, the cosmos, all the solar systems that exist. That's the second heaven. Now, fun fact, a slight side note here, fun fact, on Tuesday, William Shatner, who is 90 years old, Captain, the original Captain Kirk, if anyone knows, anyone knows from Star Trek, I'm wearing my Star Trek t-shirt today for this very reason, uh, I, pl I planned this, um, is going to space. He's going to space on Jeff Bezos' uh, Blue Origin rocket. He's 90 years old. So Captain Kirk, you know, the captain of, uh, of uh, the USS NCC-1701 uh, Enterprise, he's actually going to go to space at 90 years old. It's, it's just moments like this that make me so glad to be alive right now. There, there are really, there are things, you know, there are certain days, right, where you're like, I wish I lived in a different time period. Like, I really wish I did. Uh, like, I'll even just take 2018. Like, that was pretty good, you know. Um, but, but then there are things like this. I'm like, Kirk is going to space. This is going to be epic. So... I don't know, I'm not, I may not get too much work done on Tuesday, because I'm, you know, anyway. I'm sure, I hope, I'm really hoping they live stream it. I'm just, like, we got the technology, why won't you live stream this? This is going to be amazing. So anyway, that's the second heaven. That was the only reason I said that. So you've got biblical categories, you've got the, 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 the atmosphere, the sky, you've got the, the cosmos, space. And then the Bible talks about the third heaven. The third heaven is a spiritual dimension. A spiritual dimension. A, a place that is beyond our perception. Now, the Bible tells us that God is omnipresent, so He's everywhere. And this is one of the key distinctions about the Christian faith compared to lots of other uh, different types of world beliefs, uh, is that you know, people like to say that God is the universe or the universe is God. They kind of blend or, or meld those things together. Christianity is very clear on this. God occupies the universe. He, he's omnipresent. He, he's in all places at all times. Uh, but He is not the universe. He is very And He's beyond the universe. He's, he's distinct from it, although He occupies it. Uh, but what's curious... It's, it's, you know, an infinite being who doesn't have a beginning or an end. It's, it's hard for us to imagine. But, but what's curious about this is that this third heaven, this spiritual dimension, that is the place where God's most direct manifest presence is expressed in that place. That, um, of course, God is omnipresent. He can be with us at all times, in all places at all times, and see all things, and know all things, and be in all places. But His direct presence is most manifested in the spiritual realm. 
Some people have actually speculated, and it's not unreasonable to rethink this way about it, that, that Eden, at the beginning of, of the Bible, you know, God makes the earth, you know, makes the heavens and the earth, and then he makes this place Eden on the earth. And this is the place where he communed with the first people that he made. And at that place, people, I've heard it described this way. Some of you have heard this too. Uh, maybe you know where I'm going with this, some of you. But I've heard people describe Eden as like a, an interdimensional portal between earth and, and heaven. Uh, that it's, it's a bridge kind of bringing heaven to earth, as it were. That, that, that was the, the mechanism in which God related to the people that he made. Um, kind of an interesting idea. So what we understand is we understand that the, the heaven is a real place, the, the heaven now. So, so the future heaven hasn't been created yet. That would be created after Judgment Day, um, the one that we'll, get, we'll be talking about in a minute. But the current heaven, it's a real place. God's there, so we know it's real. There's angels there. We talked about angels in previous week. There are the, the, the souls of those in Christ who have already passed away. They're there. So it's a good place. Lots of cool stuff going on there. We don't know a ton about it because a lot of the descriptions of heaven are talking about the future heaven. But I wonder, the, 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 the sci-fi 10-year-old child inside of me wonders if because it's a real place, like is it, is it just like a, a mirror universe type situation, like a different dimension, or is it like another planet somewhere, or is it beyond? You know, is it, you know, does space end at some point, and then you, know, you could get to the end of it, and then that's where the spiritual dimension is? Like, is it that simple? <laughs> like, could we use technology at some point to actually get more clues and insight into, like, there's a different reality somewhere out there Obviously, only God would allow that to be possible if we, if we could. But there's something in me that says, like, wow, maybe, maybe we, because it's real. It's a real thing. And that people go back and forth, or spirits, I should say, angels especially, go back and forth between this place. There's a way to get there. It's a curious thing, but it's a temporary thing. The current heaven is a temporary thing. We really should think, this whole idea reframes death for Christians. So Christians, of course, we're sorrowful like everyone else when loved ones pass away. But death for us, for those who are in Christ, is basically a person, you're not dead. You're still alive. <laughs> so you're basically going from this place to this other place. Still very much alive, still the same identity, still the same person. You just don't exist here anymore, and now you exist here. You've been translated from one place to another place. This, all of this helps us understand this, the tragic disconnect between earth and heaven. It's all, think about it like this, that the earth, you know, God cursed, you know, when mankind fell and the human race fell, that, that, that God kind of cursed everything. And it, perhaps in, in one of the ways that we were cursed is that there was this severing, the severing that the, 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 the physical world was disconnected from its kind of power source, the power source that could renew it, that could keep it perpetually, eternally alive. That source was severed. And since that point, I mean, this is true, the idea of entropy, the idea of everything kind of winding down, that... Everything's decaying. All of creation, the physical world is just slowly falling apart, breaking at the seams because there's this tragic disconnect between heaven, between the third heaven, between the spiritual dimension and the physical reality that we live in. So what about this? That's what we know of the current heaven and earth. What about this, this, this new heaven and new earth? Well, after Judgment Day, we talked about Judgment Day last week and a tricky topic. I, I really encourage you to listen to that. It's going to help you under understand and get God's heart for why judgment is actually such a good and necessary thing. But ju after Judgment Day, it's going to be like Genesis, essentially, again, kind of. It'll be like Genesis 2.0, where, where God will, it'll be like an extreme makeover edition, where God will, you know, 
I don't know how it will exactly all work, but God's going to remake everything. All things are going to be made new. That's one of the things it says here in, in the passage, that all things will be made new. So I think that includes even the heavens, the current heavens. They'll be made new as well. Everything's going to be made new. And now this can be very confusing for Christians because in a kind of a childlike way, we tend to think earth is bad, corrupt, cursed. We're all, you know, in trouble. When we die, we go to heaven. We're with God. Uh, forever. And that's good. That's a good place. There's, you know, no bad stuff there. And so then when we hear God's making a new earth, we're like, well, I thought we're all supposed to be in heaven with God. So what's the new earth for? Who's going to be there? How does this all work? It's, it's, I think we can, be, we can scratch our heads and be a bit confused by it. Verse 2, from what we read, tells us, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So picture this. From the spiritual realm, from the third heaven, from this, this spiritual reality that's either interdimensional or somewhere far away, that from that place, through the first heaven, through the atmosphere, this city comes and it lands on the earth. And it appears to me that this is kind of like the, the reconnection of what was lost in Eden. And so this city is... It was constructed in the heavenly places by God, this new Jerusalem. God made it. It was constructed by God. It's heavenly in origin, of the spiritual dimension in origin. And then it comes and lands on the earth. It's a, a paradise city that we're going to live in together with God forever. But it seems to me that, again, this is now reconnecting that bridge where the physical world and the spiritual world will now be essentially one in the same. Or there will be that permanent ability to experience both in some way. It's hard to imagine and describe because we're so limited in, in our thinking. We're so, you know, we're stuck in this spiritual, or sorry, this physical reality that's tainted by evil and sin. So it's hard for us sometimes to imagine what this might be like. In part, this, is, this helps explain the words of Jesus where he, says, um, where he says that the meek shall inherit the earth. People are confused by that. They're like, well, I, you know, I kind of like to go to heaven. And, you know, if I'm stuck on earth and everyone's having a good time in heaven, why am I inheriting the earth? But the idea of the meek, you know, those who are like Jesus, those who have that character of Christ, that they will inherit this new earth in addition to this reconnection with the new heavens. All of this teaching, all of this glorious understanding of this future paradise we're going to live in, that we're going to live in this, this glorious city that God makes, it really helps frame, helps us think about life now. We've mentioned this many times over the, over the years at Trinity, but it's, it's helpful to bring it up again. Just a, a quick point on this. But it can be tempting for us who live uh, in a city like Chicago to lose sight of what it points to. Because there, even though it's so broken and so fallen, and we can, we can be so disheartened by it. You know, when people tend to... You know, if someone's from Chicago, they tend to be very, you know... Uh, supportive and like, you know, they're all about it. Very Chicago, like Chicago tattoo or whatever they've got. You know, they're all, in, they're all about it. But if you're from somewhere else and you came to Chicago, there can be that, that, that initial kind of romance and allure to it of like, oh, yeah, it's the big city. But over time, you can lose that because it can wear you down because it is a, it is a, a fallen place where, where sin can be magnified and great tragedy can happen. And you see some of the worst things of display, you know, of humanity on display. But this picture of heaven is reflected in the, the good aspects of our city, the density of our city, the, the diversity, the community of this city. We, we've got to learn to actually 
not despise our city, but to see the glimpses of heaven, the striving for heaven. Because it can be so easy for us just to be cynical and just be like, well, it's just corruption. It's just, well, you look at all the different things, and it's not that we're wrong about that, but we're missing something deeper. We're missing the deeper cry of every human heart that's saying, I want heaven. I want that place. I want that paradise. I want that reconnection with God, even though people don't understand that's what they're striving for. And we, the good things about our city should be reminders to us and encouragements to us. There's a better city coming. We're going, to live in that one, we're going to live in that giant city, all of God's people, forever and ever. Now, we're told of that city that's a holy city. It's adorned. It's a, it's a magnificent, beautiful place. We're told uh, more about it in verses 4 and 5, this, this description of this environment, some more detail about it. It says here, in this, in this place, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. It's hard for us to imagine everything being new. But I tell you what, these descriptions, and as I've been preparing this sermon and thinking about the future, thinking about this paradise that we'll be in, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get there. I mean, I'm, I'm glad for the things now. and I want to enjoy all the things now and, and and celebrate all the things that the, the, all the blessings we have now. But, but man, this, this place, I can't wait to get there. And it is hard to imagine it because our, our reality is tainted so much by sin and we can be so disheartened, especially the last year and a half, so much turmoil and difficulty going on in, in our culture and in our own lives. And you can long even more for heaven, and we should long for heaven, but it can be hard to imagine what it's like. And sometimes we can fall into, sometimes we can love the world too much, frankly. You know, that, that happened. People are mentioned in Scripture that they, they're just too much in love with the world. We can, sometimes our idea of heaven can be kind of a boring one. You know, that, that it's just going to be... Because we, we try and compare heaven to things we have experiences of in this world. And we, you know, so we might think of like, oh, I've had dreams about things. And it's like, will, will heaven be like a dream? And we're like, dreams aren't as clear, are they? You know, it's not as lucid as when you're awake. And so, you know, that's not a good way of thinking about heaven. Or will, will heaven be like a, an eternal church service? Like... I mean, I really hope not. Like, I, I love going to church, like, but I'm also glad, you know, it's like there's a start and end time, you know, that, that has a set time, right? There are important things we do as we get together, and we have different expressions, you know, we have, we have small groups, and we have Sunday gatherings, and different expressions of that, but like, there's a time and place for that, but I, I don't, <laughs> you know, but sometimes we can get trapped in, these thinking, in this thinking where we're like, it's so hard to imagine what will, you know, won't we get bored, or won't it just be monotonous, won't it be like some kind of cyclical thing where we're just repeating the same things over and over again, or it's just like a dream, we really shouldn't fall into those kind of temptations. If we fall into those kind of patterns of thinking, what we're doing is we're denying really what Scripture teaches us and the, the, the joy that's set before us, the bliss that's set for, before us in God's presence. And it also can be a sign that we, we enjoy and love too much. We're supposed to enjoy, but that we're too dependent. Our identity is too much found in the things of this world, in the accomplishments we have or the relationships we have or the objects we have, whatever it might be, the, the sense of security that we get from those, those things. In fact, we should actually think about he, this, this future paradise, the new heavens and the, and the new earth. We should, we should really think about it in very physical terms because it is a physical place. Um, it's described that way in, in very physical terms. So a lot of, a lot of the descriptions in, in the Bible say it's gonna be, there's going to be a banquet there. So we're going to be eating and drinking together. Together, There's going to be wine there, fruit. Now, I, now curious question, you know, does that mean we will still be going to the bathroom? Because if there's food, 
always wonder about that. How does that work? I mean, I'm sure we can be certain that it'll be a better experience, more sanitary and pleasing. All the toilet paper will just be better, you know, or there won't be any toilet. I don't know how it works, but you know, it does make me slightly sorrowful that there may not be toilet humor in heaven, because that's a great source of humor. At least a 10-year-old boy inside of me thinks so. Whatever it happens, everything will be better. The humor will be better, everything will be better, but it'll, be, but it'll still be very, very physical. There'll be rivers in heaven. I've been on a, a few float trips in my life. Anyone here like any float trips? Float trips are a great experience. Float trips, there'll be, there'll be rivers in heaven. We're told of this giant city. We've given the dimensions of the city. It's massive, and this city has got gates in it. It's got all kind of walls and roads. The roads are made of transparent gold. That sounds incredible, especially when you're driving around Chicago, and you're like, yeah, this, that does sound in incredible. Roads that actually don't have holes in them. We're told that God will give us, you know, if we're thirsty, that God will satisfy us with water from the, the spring of life. You know, I've, I always think it's kind of criminal to, to pay, you know, you have to pay for bottled water. You know, it's like this is, should be an abundant source that we, we have access to. But in heaven, there'll be no, no, no such thing, that God will just satisfy us in that way. We can, I think, be confident that you know, he's preparing a place for us. There'll be dwellings, other structures, buildings, in the future, in this future paradise, that, that, that some of the, the, the descriptions of it, especially in Revelation, it says that they'll be using you know, this, this, the finest jewels and gems, and it'll be magnificent. If, if you like the, the architecture of, of Chicago or other great cities or other parts of the world that have like historic architecture in them, like you're going to love the architecture of heaven. You're going to be impressed with it. It's going to be dazzling. It says it's like a, like a bride adorned for her wedding day, for her, for, for her, uh, her groom. And you think about that. That's, that's the, 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 the Bible is trying to find language to say, like, you know, the day that, that like, a bride's going to, like, look her absolute, you know, a woman's going to look her absolute best is going to be that day. That she's going to dress up and, you know, have every, every kind of jewelry you could imagine or every, the best dress you could imagine. You know, it's that, it's that ultimate, like, expression of beauty and that's what heaven's going to be like. It's trying to find this language that we can tap into to help us get excited about it. Everything, everything there is going to be better than anything here by a million miles, by a million miles. There'll be music there. We love music already, but it'll be even better than the music we have here. I think surely there'll be competition and games and puzzles and all kinds of different things there to enjoy and explore together. The citizens of this future paradise, this future kingdom... It says that we'll be given responsibility, that right now our work is cursed, so it's very difficult, but there it won't be cursed. It'll be so enjoyable and meaningful, and we'll be perfectly suited for the work that we have to do. And it will be challenging, but in a way that's not broken. We're told that some people will have leadership responsibilities as well in this place. We're told we'll have treasure from God. Now, we shouldn't think about that as like pirate booty. I don't think you're going to get to he heaven and be like, Okay, great, I got pirate booty. I don't think it means that kind of treasure. I think we're talking about rewards, right? Eternal rewards, that our good works, even the, the, one of the verses that Merrick read earlier on in worship is that our, our clothing in heaven will be part of the rewards of the good works. So some of our fashion in heaven will be a result of that. So if you want good fashion in heaven, do as much good as you can in, in this life. But uh, I think that not only will we enjoy those rewards and those gifts and that, that, those treasures, there'll be things that will satisfy us forever, but I think there'll be things that we'll be able to enjoy with other people and share with other people as well. I, I'm sure that'll be part of it. I, I don't know that. It doesn't say that, but I, I, I imagine that that has to be how it works in some regard, that we'll, we'll say, you know, Merrick's got some cool stuff. We can go and hang out in his place, you know, 
hang out with some of the, the cool eternal stuff that God blessed him with, all the good stuff he did, and then we'll go to someone else's place, and you know, there'll be this eternal thing. Some Christians don't like this idea because they're like, well, you shouldn't be you know, excited about the things you have. It's like, well, God wants us to have things. He just doesn't want things to have us. But we'll be blessed with, in that way with those things. There'll be, there'll be no sorrow there, no pain there, no death. No one will die there. There'll be no crying there. There'll be no depression there. And here's perhaps one of the greatest things. There'll be no social media in paradise. Come on, we need, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I mean, I'm sure it's satanic. I'm sure. You know, if someone were to pray, pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm sure God might even shut Facebook down for a day. <laughs> Facebook got shut down for a day recently, if anyone didn't, didn't realize that. Maybe you're not on Facebook, good for you. Just to say, if you didn't know, the more time you spend on social, social, social media, the more depressed you are, especially Instagram. Instagram is particularly is the worst one, especially for girls. We'll be free of all of that in heaven. We're also told there's no sea in heaven. Now, we're told there's water there because we drink from the, the, the spring of life and there's rivers, but the sea won't be there, so it's, it's curious. So, but the earth will still be beautiful, but I think what it's trying to tell us is that there'll be no divisions between nationalities, between the different heritage that we, that we all come from, that there'll be one society, one glorious kingdom that's God's people represented on the earth. There won't be oceans to separate us uh, anymore. We'll be united uh, in that way. We'll have resurrected bodies, brand new bodies forever. So the kind of body that Jesus had when he resurrected from the dead, we'll have, it'll be physical and it'll be indestructible. And it'll be the ideal version of our body. We won't be insecure about it. All the ailments, all the aches and the pains, all of the limitations, all the problems that we have, they'll all be gone. Yes, that's, we should be excited about that, right? <laughs> we'll get, so, so my youngest daughter has a very, very severe disability, as many of you know. In heaven, she'll have a full, complete, functioning body. How great is that? What a promise. Get emotional thinking about that. That's, you know, God can heal things in this life, and he does. We've seen that. We've seen the miraculous works of God. We've seen, you know, God can do that. It doesn't happen all the time. We live in this mixture. Of the kingdom's come, but not fully. But there fully it will be, and there'll be, that's the ultimate Healing is, is, is heaven. We'll have physical, eternal, indestructible bodies like Jesus. The other crazy thing about the Christian faith is this. It's the only religion that teaches that there are eternal friendships. So all other, all other systems of belief either teach that, that, well, there's no afterlife or that you're absorbed into the consciousness of, you know, your, your individuality is lost and you're just kind of absorbed into the energy of, of, of the universe. And so there's no chance for ongoing um, individual relationships with, with, with people or even with a God. Um, even, even Islam's idea of, of paradise is, doesn't indicate any, any sense that you actually have friendships with people that you knew in this life. Only the Christian faith promises that those in Christ will know each other forever with God. That makes me really, really happy. I'm so happy by that truth, by that doctrine, by that teaching. I cannot wait to get there. I can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be such a good place. All the striving, all the insecurities, all the fears, all of it will be gone. We'll be in that place forever. And all the cool stuff that God's going to bless us with, all the cool architecture and the, the place, how it all works and how it all looks and all the other people will be amazing. But there's even something greater than we're to enjoy all of that, but even something greater than all of that. Verse 3, verse 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, a dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the greatest thing about paradise is that God will be there. And we're told he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That doesn't mean he had a beginning or an end. It's just saying that there is nothing that can be, there's nothing that was, that could pre predate him or anything that would be transcendent beyond him or after him. Not that there is a beginning or after of him. He's eternal, which means that if we're nervous that we're going to get you know, bored with all the stuff in heaven, that you can never get bored with God because he's infinitely searchable and, and interesting and joyful. You know, the priests in the Old Testament, they, 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 they couldn't stand in God's presence. They, 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 they fell down in God's presence. And, and many times we're told in the Old Testament, like, you, you can't look at the face of God and live. But in heaven, with these new resurrected bodies, we'll better look at God face to face and experience the, the perfect joy and bliss of being an intimate friend, a close-up friend with him forever, to see his physical form or the the light that comes from him, however God is, the manifestation of his presence that he shows to us that will be directly there. It says that God is now the source of light, that there's no sun or moon, that we'll, we'll look to God as our light. One moment in heaven, the first second in this new heaven and this new earth, after judgment, the first second there will outdo the accumulation of all the greatest pleasures of a lifetime here. And then it will be that way forever. It'll be that way forever. No drug we could take, no person we could encounter, no, no, no position we could ever rise to, no accomplishment we could ever make will ever compare to one second in that place of paradise and bliss in God forever. Think about heaven like this. We all want, we all want to belong. You know, nobody has a perfect childhood, although we all want one, we all wish we could have one. Even the best families, even the most healthy families, even the most loving parents, the most mature parents, still, you know, we have wounds from our families. We, we, you know, we're, we can be insecure and struggle because of, you know, different things. We're all longing for that, 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 that perfect family where, where, where we were loved. And it's, I know it's controversial. I know this, these things are controversial where we have a mother and a father that love each other, that don't separate, that don't get divorced, that stay together, that we can be secure in their love. They're interested in us, that they care for us, they protect us. They're, they're the people that should protect us and should keep us safe and that they, they perfectly fulfill that. That's what we're all longing for. That's what we're all hoping for. And the problem is most people don't get that. And even people that get something close to it, it's still tainted by sin and still fallen. Heaven is the childhood that everybody knows they should have had. Because our earthly parents are not really our parents. We're made by God. We're just on loan for a short period of time to earthly parents. God is our parent. And we'll be face to face. We'll have that, all, of that, all of that deepest longing of belonging to God and having that, that family. That's what heaven is. That's why believing in Jesus is so important. So, so important. I can't wait to get there. Death is a gateway to this place. Death is a gateway to this place. We're still sorrowful in death, but it's a gateway to this glorious, blissful place that we'll be in. How do we prepare for it? How do we prepare for it? Verse 6, again, verse 6, the last part of verse 6, it says, to the thirsty, 
I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment to the thirsty. Our greatest satisfaction can only really be found in God. You know, our biggest problems in life are because we want things other than God. That's really where our problem. You know, there are external pressures and losses that we face, but even our response to those things are, in part, we're troubled and we, we struggle because we want th- other things more than we want God. How thirsty are we for God, for the things of God, for the place where God is? How thirsty are we for that? Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's the secret to happiness. I can save you a lifetime of striving and searching for happiness if you'll hear it and receive it into your heart. Want God more than you want anything else. Do you catch it? The answer to ha- the, the secret of happiness. Want God more than you want anything else. And our troubles come about because we're not thirsty for God. But only, but see, God will satisfy us. And it says here that if we're thirsty, God has the remedy. God has the thing that will quench our thirst, that will finally meet that, those deepest needs that we have, and only He can give it to us. And it says it comes without payment. Comes without payment. This is the nature of the good news. The good news is good news because you don't have to pay for it. It would be bad news if you had to pay for it. But because it's a free gift. Now, someone had to pay for it. But it wasn't us. It's free to us. It's grace. That's what grace is. It's this unmerited, extravagant gift given to us. Satisfaction. Eternal life, salvation given to us by God forever. Man, a free gift to us. Given to us by our maker. Praise God for this gift. It didn't cost us anything, but Jesus... It cost him. It cost him. We tend to think about the sacrifice and death of Jesus as being one moment. And obviously there was a great moment of that. That, you know, that, that place of, of Golgotha, the, the place of, of the skull, the, the place of hell there really for, for, for Jesus. Him taking our punishment and our sin on the cross. And a, a righteous life exchanged for a sinful life. And that, that substitution that takes place as, as a free gift of grace. Like that, yes, it was. That's the greatest moment. That's it, because of that moment that we can be free. And faith in that moment, trust in that moment that gives us our salvation forever. But we also got to realize there is an eternal cost that Jesus also had to pay. We've mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning it again. But Jesus, when he was risen from the dead, showed his disciples in a resurrected, eternal, indestructible body that he had scars. In his, in, his, in his hands or his wrists or in his feet, and his, uh, you know, scar on his side, maybe, maybe even scars from the, the thorn, of, the crown of, crown of thorns, excuse me, that he, that he wore. Those are eternal wounds. It says in Revelation, he's not just depicted as a lion. We've talked about him being a lion, of this, this powerful force that God is for good, but he's also depicted as a lamb. That there's a, you see a lamb on the throne something about the eternal nature now of Jesus, that he's permanently limited himself, that an infinite God permanently took on human flesh. And even though it's a resurrected body and now an indestructible body, it's new and improved. It's still a great step down, still a limitation with scars and wounds depicted as a lamb. Yes, a lion, but also a lamb. That is an eternal payment that covers us forever. That covers us forever.
What a sacrifice. See, the sacrifice of Jesus is greater than we possibly imagine. It's not just a moment. It lasts forever and ever and ever. Let's have the band come up. We want to respond and thank Jesus for this great payment, this great sacrifice. We want to think about heaven. Think about what will be there and the experience that we'll have in that place. John Newton, who famously you know, wrote Amazing Grace, right? The most famous hymn. John Newton, he was a, a slave trader, got convicted of his sin, became a believer. He famously said this. He says, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And third, and greatest of all, will be to find myself there. What a great thing to find ourselves if we trust in Jesus in that place, that place of absolute security, that place of absolute safety in God, of absolute satisfaction in God forever. Look, we've got to get our minds on heaven because we'll spend far more time there than we will here. You can't even compare them because one's finite and one's infinite. It's a flash here. It's a moment here. All the things, all the cares of this life, all the things that we think are so, so crucial and so, so important, they really are so insignificant compared to eternity. Let's, let our minds and hearts be so enamored with paradise with God. Not that we'll be useless here or just so preoccupied here that we're no good, but that we're so blessed by that idea that we do as much good here as possible in the name of Jesus.